everybody. Welcome to Potions and Potpourri. This is a Dungeons and Dragons variety show podcast where we talk about stuff, interview people, have a live play, and make things spur of the moment. That pause made me think you have a life. <laughs> we like, don't have those. Ah! No. <laughs> Disagree. Slightly. With how many D&D things we do, there's no way. Yeah, right. Uh, anyways, this is Keisha. And this is Kayla. <laughs> and today we're doing an interview. Um, we have our friend Seth Kembrell on. Hi, Seth. Hello, hello. Um, if you guys remember, Seth was our DM for our wonderful live shot murder at Rose Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to bring him back and talk to him about some fun stuff. Yeah. So yeah, we before we get into that, we kind of wanted to do a little like recap slash getting a little deeper into the process who is oh. Seth? <laughs> well. <laughs> Do I need to be lying down on the couch for this? <laughs> Get your notepad ready. Uh, yeah, this is actually an intervention. <laughs> this is not an interview. Interview and shit. boom. We tricked you. <laughs> um, but so you are our DM. What in general is your like DM history and Dungeons and Dragons history? Sure. So I am... Uh, further into grad school right now than I really want to admit that I am. I guess I'm in my sixth year. So I first played Dungeons and Dragons when I was in my second year of college. So that would have been, oh no, eight years ago now. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> um, so I played a campaign then that sort of just kind of naturally fell apart. Um, yeah, that happens. You know, these yeah. things happen. And then I didn't play for like three straight years. And so I got to grad school, and one of my friends said, hey, I'm DMing a campaign. Do you want to join? I said, hey, I remember having fun. You know, sure, I'll, let's do I it. I remember joining. I have time. <laughs> exactly. No. That yeah. was a... Uh, grad school. Yeah. <laughs> this was my second year of grad school. So, yeah. so you still have time. In exactly. Life, exactly. Um, don't remind me. <laughs> uh, so I played for a while in that campaign, and that DM actually ran... I think three different campaigns that I played in. Wow. Um, That's like you, Keisha. (laughs) And then he graduated and left. And the whole group just kind of turned and said, Seth, will you DM the next campaign? And I said, sure, why not? I've never done it before, but why not? Let's let's give it a try. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I can talk a little bit, so let's go. Um, So I feel like uh, kind of a common story. I bit off way more than I could chew. For my very first time, like, yeah. I homebrewed a whole world, and, like, oh there was, like, naval battle <laughs> mechanics that, like, I had to make up. Off, oh, my like, God. And I really shouldn't have done that for my first try. No. But, but everyone Sink had or fun. Swim, man. Exactly. But, yeah. We all had fun, and that was always important. Yeah. And since then, I've DM'd three or four more campaigns for different groups, and it always just changes because someone graduates or, mm. you know, the group changes, and we decide, hey, here's a good time to try something new. Yeah. In a different setting. We get that. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, nice. So you've had a little bit of experience, it sounds like, then. Yeah. And are wow. you actively DMing something right now? Yes. So I'm DMing two campaigns right now. Wow. Um, With different groups? Different groups. Oh, my gosh. So nice. I do one local in person um, here in Montana, and then I do one virtually with a bunch of my friends from back in Georgia. Oh, cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. How's that nice. online? Um, I prefer in person. Yeah. Um, but course. I think that's that's not a, a hot take. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's fine. Um, I think roll t- I, we use Roll20. Yeah. I was just gonna I think that's a pretty good system. A pretty yeah, good, it works pretty well for what it does. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all having fun there, too. We're doing a, a campaign in Eberron. So oh, kind of, cool. of steampunk you know, It's very different. Yeah. Is your other one homebrew, or are you doing a module? Uh, Eberron is homebrew. 
The one in person, we're doing Storm King's Thunder. Ooh, Ooh. fun. That's one I've wanted to do for a really long time. I've wanted to play that before, too. And finally, finally we're getting a chance to. Cool. And it's a blast. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole blast. That sounds great. Yeah. So specifically for the one that you did for us, mm-hmm. how did you come across it? Or did you make it? Or where's the story with that? A little bit of both. Um, my secret when I'm homebrewing a campaign is when I have a week that I have no time, I go to the DMs Guild and I look for one shots <laughs> nice. and I find ones that I can fit into smart. the current campaign. That's smart. That's um, no shame in that. Good idea. Uh, so that was one that I'd come across a long time ago or, or something similar to that. Um, but I made some changes to it. There were some additions that I made that uh, some parts that I thought didn't flow quite so well. Um, <laughs> that I and my infinite arrogance thought I could do better than the person who made it. <laughs> so it's kind of a combination. I came across sort of the skeleton of mm-hmm. that adventure and then tweaked some details yeah, the way I liked it. That's a good way to go about it. Yeah, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really different and more so your own. Sounds mm-hmm. like you're mostly a forever DM now, but how many like characters have you played and made? Oh gosh, that's kind of a loaded question because. Oh, I guess as a DM, you play characters. No, no, right. Well, no, I mean, actual as, fully fleshed out. You as know. as a player, it's a loaded question because there's one campaign that I've died, I think, four times in. Oh shit! So there's five characters from that campaign. Oh my alone. god, good for you. Um, gosh, I've probably made at least a dozen characters at this point and Jeez. played them through. Um, wow, it's always been it's it's kind of the the convenience of of being a DM is that you make all these NPCs. And a lot of times I think this would be a fun player character. Yeah. This yeah. would be a good oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just kind of save those in a bank. And then yeah. when I do get to play, I'll bust out like, you know, someone that I made into the shopkeeper. But, uh-huh. but really was the fun, you know, bard that cool. I wanted to play. That's fun. Keisha has actually incorporated <laughs> Booth into our current story. I did. Really? Yep. He sucks. <laughs> He's just fucking weird. <laughs> and if we're being honest, he was pretty weird <laughs> in the one shot. This is in Murder yeah, Rose, like, in the campaign that I injected him into. This is like before the Murder at Rose Lake. So okay, it's even okay. like oh, is it <laughs> So is it like it's the incident then? Is that yeah, the, the, the I know, I know Booth had an incident. incident. Oh wow! So yeah. you're waiting for the incident to happen. We'll see if that's worth putting in there or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but going back to the murder at Rose Lake, uh. Was there anything that we did when we played that you did not expect at all? Yes. Um, <laughs> most of what you did. <laughs> well, we didn't even follow the whole trail of, like, the door. I know. Yeah. There was, like, a whole section. We that just we ignored like, that entirely. Nah, we're fine. We don't need that. Right. Exactly. So, in my mind, um, there were kind of the two branching paths you could invest... Excuse me. You could investigate. Yeah. Um, there was... What's going on with the dwarf and what was happening with the, the, the girl that was also dead in the cell. Mm-hmm. And I thought that you would kind of bounce back and forth, you know, sure. and sort of start piece, you know, putting the pieces together as you're advancing down both paths. That's ridiculous. Yes, that was my fault. <laughs> because instead you picked the girl and just went to the end of that path yeah. and nothing made sense. <laughs> Then you started going down the dwarf path, and every time you learned a new thing, it was like, wait a minute. That makes sense now. (laughs) We were pretty confused for a while. Oh, yeah. We were like, how does this connect? Why do I feel like we're missing pieces? I'm sure the whole time you're like, yeah, gee, I wonder. (laughs) Well, Seth was like, oh, you find some graphite in the ground, and it's carved with 
this thing about these people dying. What could it mean? And we're like, I don't know. Let's That's just move question. on. <laughs> well, anyways. <laughs> um, you never went into the sewers, which... Oh, um, there were no, sewers. I didn't even... Yep. You, there was a... V- a very uh, arduously mapped out sewer system. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> um, because the, uh, if you remember the, the, the monster after it killed the two in the cell, it escaped down a drain, mm-hmm. and you were going to be able to follow that. Oh. And there were combat encounters. <laughs> we were like, no, it's gone forever. <laughs> there were combat encounters. There were mimics. Wow. There was like all kinds oh. of stuff to get into. Fun. Um, so we were a couple hours in, oh and. I think one of you mentioned there had been no combat. And I was like, yeah, because you haven't gone to the sewers. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere you're not. You haven't chased the monster. <laughs> We're just like, let's go here. Okay, let's go back to point B. Yeah, let's go back to point A. Let's These go talk to this person again. Two places, yeah. <laughs> but I think the, the biggest thing I didn't expect was at the very end, the monster um, wrapped itself around the old man at the mansion, and Booth just... <laughs> I can curse on this podcast, right? Yeah. Because Booth beat the shit out of that old man. Yeah. Well, somebody I know was listening All to that right. episode and they texted me and they were just like, quotes, so how do you kill Vincent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like the crying uh, face emoji because he was laughing so hard. I also awesome. want to say that you folks kind of messed me up on... A, a physical level from that one shot because <laughs> oh. Vincent was never supposed to be talked to after the first. Oh, I mean, no. supposed to yeah. is like a strong. So you, you can do whatever you want, right? Fuck right. your voice a little. But he wasn't meant to be like the person that you came in contact with. Right. Um, but Kayla, your character had the weird like fingernail walkie-talkie <laughs> thing, and yeah. so every single person you ever talked to, you go back to Vincent and yeah. you talk to him. Right. And for for folks listening, if you'll remember. Vincent's voice sounded a lot like yeah. Batman. <laughs> I went home that night and I couldn't speak anymore. Oh, no. I sounded like Batman without trying. Uh, oops. <laughs> so all the people that I thought you would talk to a lot had very gentle voices for okay. me to do. <laughs> That's smart. Nice little yes. like German accents, you yeah. know, very, very. No, no, you picked Batman. He was, <laughs> he was the one. Well, you gave him the interesting voice, so you set yourself up. That's right. We wanted to talk to him more. <laughs> I blame only myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it goes, though. That's how it goes. Well, nice. Yeah, I think that's a good little chat about the murder at Rose Lake one shot. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It was. I would really like to bring those characters back in another setting, like for another little mission oh, or investigation or something. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, Bozik has a lot of growing to do as far as Warlock goes. Yeah. I think the team of Booth and Bozik have a lot of crimes to solve. <laughs> I do, yeah. Booth has a lot of growing in <laughs> many aspects. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, today we wanted to talk about some house rules. Yes. Which Seth actually suggested as a topic for the interview, and I think it's really cool because... Yeah, that's always fun. Seems like everybody that has a game in a table plays... Just slightly differently. And they may not even realize that these are, quote, house rules. Mm-hmm. When me and Keisha were talking about it, I was like, do we have house rules? And she was like, oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So many. And just, like, <laughs> send me a whole list of them. I was like, oh, you're right. That's not how you actually play the game. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's not in the rule book, is it? What even is in the rule book? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's different with each group. Because obviously there are some that are like, by the book. No deviations whatsoever. Boring. You know, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> But 
don't know. There's just some things that just don't make sense or we could tweak a little or we just honestly get rid of entirely because we're like, that's dumb. It doesn't work for us at all. So uh, Seth just says, in general, what are some of your main house rules that you have for like every day? Sure. Um, the house rule that I like the most comes uh, during character creation, mm-hmm. actually. Um, my rule is uh, inspired by the Elder Scrolls games. So in the Elder Scrolls, you play for a little while, then you always like leave the dungeon or whatever, your tutorial dungeon, and it says, are you sure this is the class you want to be? It gives you a chance to remake your character, right? Why doesn't everything do that? So what I do is I tell all my players, before level five, you have free reign. If you want to change your character, uh, you can. Because I feel like level five is when you really start getting into... Yeah, it is. You know, like level level three, you get your first... You know, for most classes, you kind of yeah. pick your subclass. Mm-hmm. By level five, you've gotten like a specialty feature. Uh-huh. Um, and I think up until then, you know, I give them the chance to see if they're enjoying what they're playing, but mm-hmm. also if they're enjoying how their character fits into the party. Right. Right. That's um, really cool. Yeah, and, that's actually a really good one. And I like it because it also st- stops people from, I've been afraid in the past of picking something that seems fun. Mm-hmm. Because it might not be good, right? <laughs> or I might I might not like yeah. it three sessions in. Yeah. And so I always tend towards like barbarian, paladin, even though I want to play like, you know, uh some weird sub bard that like never sees play, right? Or like, you know, animal companion mm-hmm. ranger, right? Mm-hmm. Um so it gives folks the chance to try it out. And before level five, they can switch out wow. their class. And it's no questions asked. So we don't have to like you don't Explain have to come up, you don't have to come up with a lore reason, right? It's just do they start when they switch? They start at that same level. Yes, yes. Okay. So That's so cool. You're level three barbarian, wow. and you switch to level three fighter or whatever. Um, Especially you don't require. Sorry. Oh, sorry. You don't require like any in-game reasoning for it. No, not before level five. Mm. Um, we just assume that the character you're switching to is the character you've always been okay. you know, in the story up. That's up so down. awesome. Yeah, After level fun. five, you have to have you have to at least come up with a reason. Yeah, I'm not going to for oh. if you're not having fun with your character after level five, I'm not going to make you play your character. Yeah. Right. But you have to figure out why is your current character leaving and why is this new character joining. That, that seems oh, right. okay. Gotcha. Right. You have to give me a good reason. Well, that's um, after the level, fifth level. Right. right. Um, before that, you just have free. Yeah. So yeah, pick that weird wizard you always wanted to play. <laughs> and yeah. if you hate him three sessions in, that's cool. Super we'll switch cool. out. We'll I love that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Especially getting to level five if you start at level one. Yeah. That could be like three months in. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you have some time to really learn the character. That's really cool. And see if you like it or not. That's a good way if you are trying, like you said, something that's like, I've never been this because I've been terrified of it. So I'll give it a shot, you know? Right. Or I have a friend who wants to play like a gnome barbarian with just a shield, right? Like a total tank, but from a gnome. (laughs) And I've told him like, that's not going to be good. That's <laughs> not a good character. No, it'd be but. fun, but it'd be good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd give him a chance to figure out cool. if how much does he care about how bad that class is. That's so mm-hmm. fun. Keisha played a gnome fighter. Yep. Daffodilly. Yeah, that was a whole thing because that poor DM was like, okay, you want that? Okay, you want heavy weapon? Uh, it's okay. It's a gnome. So technically, your heavy weapon is like a normal sized hammer for some <laughs> races, but for you, it's a giant hammer. So we definitely had to like go back and forth a lot. Kind of go back and forth, but we definitely came to a compromise where it's like, okay, these two classes don't work super well together, but I just love the story with it. So mm-hmm. even if she's not that great, 
I don't care. It's fun. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, no, that's a that's a great one. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's a really cool rule too. I'd love to try that sometime. Yeah, we have a house rule kind of that we learned from another group that we used to play with. As far as making characters go, mm-hmm. we almost always do rolling for stats instead yes. of like point by or something or standard array. Okay. Um, and I'm almost certain that it is three d six that you roll right for normally for your stats. But we roll. Oh yeah, but yeah. Our uh, one of our groups had a house roll where you would roll four, and you'd get rid of the lowest. Okay. So you'd roll four, you get rid of the lowest, and you re-roll all ones. Yeah, that oh, way you sure. don't have like absolute garbage yeah. mm-hmm. stats. <laughs> so I mean, it's kind of it can be a little op because you get you know like thirteen plus stats sometimes. Right. Um, but it's really nice because then, yeah, you get to choose which three out of the four dice that you want to use. And then if any of them are ones, you re-roll them all. Right. So you get at minimum a two. Yeah. So you re-roll ones before you drop the lowest then? You re-roll all ones. Okay. So, so you drop the lowest and then if you roll another one, you re-roll it until okay. it's not a one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I mean, obviously the lowest you can get is still a six, but yeah. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I mean, obviously, because we use it all the time. Sure. <laughs> We're pretty forgiving. But that was that how I learned to do the, um, like, dice roll. Mm-hmm. So I learned later that that wasn't how it's actually suggested to do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. But like to be this. fair, I've gotten some pretty low numbers out of it. Because, again, the minimum is still six. Mm-hmm. You know, I've still rolled, like, tens and stuff. You can still mm-hmm. roll badly. Sure. It just makes it so it's not, like... You're absolute shit. Yeah. <laughs> You're just kind not, of bad. Not, no at threes, <laughs> at least. God, yeah. And I feel like you you said that it can kind of lead to OP characters, but I feel like it's easier to kind of mitigate a character whose stats are too high. That's probably true. Than to yeah. drag along a character whose highest stat is 10. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's true. Definitely. Yeah, I actually forgot that was a... Yeah, it was one of the ones I remembered. <laughs> because we do it so often. It's well, you never make characters, Keisha. So, also true. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Um, another thing, one of the biggest rules that, for me personally, is that you always respect ones and twenties. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if you're, like, proficient in that skill, because there's, like, a whole debate about that. Like, oh, well, if you're, like, your character has been doing the skill and they have, like, a plus 10 or something crazy, you know, like, how can they fail at it? I'm like, well, I'm going to find a way if you roll a one. Yeah. Somehow, in this instance, something goes wrong. Unless you're a halfling. (gasps) (laughs) Oh, I hate halflings. I hate halflings (laughs) so much. Halfling? Rogues. Yes, I am targeting a very specific player for one of my campaigns. <laughs> if you listen to this, goddamn, worst combo for a DM, I swear. But So, I'm sorry to butt in here, but uh, a <laughs> relevant little sidetrack here. Let me ask you about the lucky feat. Mm, yeah. Do you do anything with that? Because I, I ban it so entirely. We, do you? Oh. I do. You're not allowed to take lucky really? if I'm the DM. Because I you mean, really it's it is. <laughs> It's a little too OP, you know, especially if the entire party's like, we all take Lucky. Right. You're just like, God fucking damn it. You know, it is, I think for me, for Lucky, luckily, for the people that I play with generally, not everyone will take it. Maybe one or two. I purposely won't if other people have it. Yeah, sure. I was going to say, I won't allow everyone to take it. I'll be like, all right, you guys, come on. There's mm-hmm. so many other feats, like, make this game interesting. I'm not here just to kill you. Exactly. Like, you can, 
I'm here to have fun, just like you guys are. So please don't choose Lucky if you can help it. Well, and you, Keisha, as a DM, you still will uh, punish them if they oh, get yeah. two. Yeah, they're still. You know, like, you're like, all right, well, you still crit failed. Yeah, you still did pretty and bad. And some extent of being a lucky halfling, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I've never banned it before, but I don't disagree with that. Like, sure. <laughs> I can see that. There's so much fun in failing. And yes. I think that you you you, know, you kind of mentioned that you're not just there to kill your players. <laughs> I think that the real fun happens when everyone realizes D&D isn't players versus DM. Right. Yeah. We're all making a story. Right? right. It's funny when you fail sometimes, right? Exactly. Like the super buff barbarian tries to lift like a twig and can't. You know? That's funny. <laughs> it's it's it hilarious. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's part of your story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes it mm-hmm. so much interesting because it, it takes in a direction you didn't expect which is awesome because you guys have to like figure it out from there, you know, like, ah, crap, <laughs> this happened. Now what? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's for me. I always, anytime it's a one or a 20, always respect it. And something either really, really, really good happens or really, really, really bad happens. So okay. no matter what the situation or what you rolled for, even if like, cause it's funny, somebody will be like, oh, it'd be funny if my character did this and they roll and it lands on something and they were joking. But if it's a one or 20, I'm like, yep. That happens. Yep, you're right. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and that's happened to us a lot. Yes. And, I don't know, it just, it makes it much more interesting, in my opinion. Sure. I I, I agree with that also on the once the die has been rolled. Yeah. You know, Leia Yakta Est, the yeah. die is cast. Yes. If you're rolling, it's happening. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we already brought up dice, but let's just talk about if we have rules within the dice realm. Like, do we have home rule house rules about how the dice are rolled or how we honor numbers or anything like that. Yeah, sometimes if like you roll but it falls off the table, I will allow a re-roll. Yeah, we don't count that. that case. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. if it's like kinked, you know, and like a crack or something and it's not flat on a number, I'll be like, you can re-roll. Well me and sure. Keisha do in our group, like our group will discuss it. Yeah, like that how close is it to that number? If it's like <laughs> propped up on your notebook or something, like how much of that surface is showing? Yeah, and then we like vote on whether you can re-roll it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's another thing that our that main group we're really good about is that we're very democratic in that way. Where if certain things happen, I'll be like, all right, let's put it to a vote, and if I need to break the tie, mm-hmm. that's when I will come in. Okay. But you guys vote on it. You tell me. Because sometimes people are like, oh, come on. It's like, it's mostly 20. You know, like, God, oh, it'd be so good if it yeah. happened, you know. And and I also evaluate it like, oh, man, like, this would be really cool if they did do this one <laughs> thing. Even though for me, it's awful. And it ruins the entire arc that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Still, it is pretty cool. So... Nice. The rule of cool applies always. Yeah. All cool. the time. Cool. <laughs> There's another one. That's that's not a bad one to have. So my dice rule is funny enough the exact opposite, I think, of Keisha's, and that is that uh, critical fails don't exist when I'm really. Playing. Oh wow! There is no critical fail for me. Um, oh and a one is still a failure, mm-hmm. but it's not like extra bad. No. Um, and for me, that that came about when I had a fighter in my party, and they got you know several multi attacks. Mm-hmm. And I realized that multi-attack is really just increasing the chances that you roll a one. Right. And then, like, you drop a sword or do something really, really terrible. So I got rid of of critical fails um, entirely with mine. 
So I guess I kind of do the opposite of respect yeah. ones, and that is that I throw ones in the garbage. Wow, that's um, controversial indeed. Every one is a two, and it's just a regular failure. Oh my gosh. And on that note, that's another thing where I have in kind of a subcategory where, again, we all vote on things. So if it's something where it's like, oh man, like this guy rolled two now ones at the like in a row in the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, in my mind, I'm like, well, some DMs are like, yeah, no, you're dead. This is how you die. You get ripped in half by the <laughs> right. orc, you know, or something. Um, I give them a little bit leeway. Like, there was an instance where we have a character who has a loxodon. We have a player who has a character that's a loxodon. <laughs> and he, for some reason, rolls terrible. A lot. <laughs> He's a fighter. <laughs> He's a fighter. Um, and he got cornered. And this major fight that was actually part of his own personal quest. And he rolled, I believe it was two natural ones, like in a row. It's like you were saying, fighter, multiple rolls. Some people will be like, I'm going to roll all of my damage <laughs> at the same time. Right. Which that could, that's probably another rule thing that some people have. Like, do you roll each one yeah. individually and right. go through it that way? Or just roll it all at once and then go from there? Because in that case, like if you roll a bunch of dice, like, oh, I have an at 20, I have... One crit fail, and I have another one that's normal. How do you deal? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyways, yeah, so he got two crit fails in a row. So I was like, all right. So the guy comes up to you, and he grabs your tusks and rips them both off. Like, you no longer have tusks. And everyone at the table was like, (gasps) oh, my God, both of them? And I was like, all right. I'll say you lose one. Because I, and I was talking with him, too. I was like, all right, it seems like he really cares about them. Like, <laughs> the history of his people, it's like a whole thing. And he doesn't want to be the loxodone that doesn't get the chicks. So <laughs> um, I was like, all right, you lose one and you're prone. You know, and we'll like kind of negotiate. We'll be like, all right, I, sure. I'll, I'll take that. Because I did roll two nat ones. I'm like, yeah, you mm-hmm. did. It's, it's a bad situation. So you lose a tusk, you know. So with that, for me, it's like, you want to respect the role, uh, roles, but you also want to make sure that everybody's still having fun with it. Yeah. Right. You know, you don't want to just straight up fuck them over, mm-hmm. you know, because that's just being mean. <laughs> and I find that if you let the players negotiate a ruling, a lot mm-hmm. of times they'll come up with something better than even, like, I came yeah. up with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of a time that uh, my party was fighting a water weird, uh, which is a really fun creature. Um, I've never heard of that. It, it's like a... Um, so sort of think of the ooze monster from uh, the Rose Lake murder, yeah. okay. but it's confined to its water oh, and it's bigger weird. and tougher and has a oh. bunch of, but, but it's like, Sweet. it rises out of a pool of water and then fights you. Cool. Um, one of the characters was a warlock and he was casting, I think, Witch Bolt, hmm. where, yeah. which is one where once it hits every turn, you can just continue yeah. Witch Bolt, right? Yeah. Um, I had made the, uh, perhaps uh, not so great decision in an earlier <laughs> session uh, my party had found an immovable rod, the magic item. Yeah, right. Sick. And I had a monk who uses quarter steps. <laughs> and he wanted to know if he could use the metal rod as a quarter staff. Oh, Hell yeah! And um, I said, sure, why not? That seems fun. Right. So we had a rule that it had like two potential extra damage. So instead of a, I think a quarter staff's a d6. I want to say his was a d8. But on this, I'm going to contradict myself here. A one on a roll hit the button. And then his staff was stuck in place. Um, But it was a metal rod. That's important here because he asked on his turn, 
if he could put his metal rod into the witch bolt, the electricity, Whoa. and somehow like you know. Okay. That's and I was clever. like, "There's nothing in the book that accounts for this situation." Yeah. Right. I was like, "I've." <laughs> but then he negotiated. He said, "What if I take the witch bolt damage too?" Because I'm holding the yeah, rod, that makes sense. and that then sucks. I can swing. I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. That's what's happening now. Yes. <laughs> that was what I was going to say before you. <laughs> yeah. Before exactly you what was happening. Yes. <laughs> Taking notes. <laughs> so I, I do love letting players negotiate rulings. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's only fair because sometimes you might think in your head, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. Seems like it's pretty fitting for the yeah. situation. And mm-hmm. as soon as you say it, everyone at the table like goes quiet, and you're like, ooh. <laughs> misread this oh, one no. <laughs> uh, we definitely negotiate with Keisha a lot oh yeah but I like using crit fails and nat 20s as like punishment and success because mm-hmm. it it kind of tips the scales either direction really hard but Keisha's been really good about not like the punishments aren't super severe and the successes aren't like super helpful right you know sure so it's like even though yes you got a crit fail and it sucks like something shitty might happen like you're not worried about like losing your character right, you know, or right. like, dying or whatever even though it has happened we've rolled crit fails on death saving throws and died <laughs> yeah in which that is case, fair it's like i can't <clears throat> but it, it just gives that little bit of extra spice on either end of the spectrum you know cuz we get really excited when we get those nat 20s because something really cool is going to happen and then you know we kind of all rally together on the crit fails of right. like oh shit like <laughs> we lost his task what are we gonna do about that <laughs> no he has he only has one ear one eye and one task <laughs> oh my god <laughs> like, i'm telling you he rolled so bad <laughs> so consistently but i also take note of that too because like like again this oxidon character has been through a lie he's just like this poor mess <laughs> you know <laughs> but if he ever rolls in at 20 i'm like i'm gonna make it like extra good for you because you've been through so That's much nice. you yeah. know so you're gonna get i guess a <laughs> castle that floats in the air that's Why yours not? benevolent dm <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so and i think it's good to have that conversation with the players too and negotiate it you know uh because it's not just with like rolling dice sometimes it's also how situations turn out specifically mm-hmm. and and I, like you brought up how sometimes they have a much better idea than you. So sometimes I'll literally ask them like, okay. What do you think should happen? Yeah. What what happens in your head? Mm-hmm. You tell me. And that's canon. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's a lot of, I think that's a lot of fun to have everybody like contribute, you know? Yep. And I think important to, uh, this comes up a lot for me because I'm bad about not having read the Dungeon Master's Guide. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of rulings that, you know. Never read it. That are certainly spelled out that I don't know. Yep. And if yeah. a situation comes up, being <laughs> being willing to say, hey, I'm going to look this up later. For right now, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then, uh, like, retcon it later. Right. Yeah. Maybe this isn't how we're going to do it going forward, but. Mm-hmm. We've done that. Oh, yeah. We've definitely done that. But it's a lot less fun if we pause so I can flip through yeah. the book. and mm-hmm. It's know, awkward. Let's just go. Let's just. Mm-hmm. Cool, you want to do the cool thing, you'll do it this time, maybe yeah. later you can't. Right. Yeah. And then I'll find out and they'll be like, God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that! You were supposed to die there. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Maybe next time. And it's funny because, like, there's in the group that we play in, there's two long term DMs that are players. So they definitely know the rule book a lot more than I do. <laughs> so there will be situations where I'm like, oh yeah, this happens. Da, da, da. And they're like, actually. If you, <laughs> if you go to page 93 you go to in the page, player's handbook. Exactly this. You know. Uh, but that's that cool too. It, but you no, know, I actually appreciate that because mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't know. 
And I'm okay, I'm the kind of DM where I'm okay being corrected in certain situations like that if it's literally, like, spelled out in the rulebook. Sure. But not necessarily if then if it's them just arguing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to be like, mm-hmm. I don't want it to happen for um, this reason. And I'm like, well, you know what? You're not God. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm God. Yeah, I don't okay. mind being rules lawyered like that. As long as if I still make a different ruling, you don't continue to, you know. Are you? Yeah, if you tell me, hey, yeah. actually, this is the rule. And if I say, well, that rule's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how it works in this world. Yeah. Um, don't keep, you know, arguing with me. Yeah, um, yeah. I agree with that, that too. Just gets a little... Or at least give me a good reason beyond, you know, if you want to say, hey, your ruling is also stupid. <laughs> Look at all these reasons it's dumb. I'll say, okay, no, you're right. You're you, right. Actually, and that's when you guys all vote. Exactly. For what you like best. Yeah, there you go. Voting. Yay. <laughs> it's good. Do it. Vote. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> PSA. <laughs> Where did that come from? So what other sorts of um, house uh, rules do we oh, have? Like Regarding dice, I have a couple more. Um, death saving throws. Yeah. Okay. So there are some people who make it so that when a character is rolling the death saving throws, they don't show anybody. Yep. Except the DM. They're the oh, ones okay. That know. I or, see. Or none at all. But usually it could be like the DM knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, but none of the other players know. Okay. Which can bring a lot of tension. Cause That's you're like, fun. are they actually dying? Are they okay? Should we help them? We, we try do to... that, don't we? I mean, I've played that way before. We didn't know. I don't know if we did originally. Like when I joined, we didn't do that. It was just out in the open. Okay. That way people could gauge what to do from there. Cause I'm almost certain that when we played Tomb of Annihilation, when I was rolling death saving throws mm. for Ash, that's yeah. what I did. Yeah, eventually I think we switched over to doing that. Yeah, I think um, we just tried it yeah. one time to see. I like it, though, because it is definitely more intense. And it's almost, in a way, I mean, I know it's D&D, but it's more realistic. Sure. Because it's not like this person's knocked out and he's going to be like, no, I'm doing okay, guys, it's all right. <laughs> like, I'm just bleeding out a little bit. Or like your live. cleric doesn't know if they should stop fighting to help you or if they should like right. keep healing your friends. Right. They don't know what decision to make, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, similar to that, I like to roll stealth checks for my players behind the screen. Oh. Um, because if my player rolls a two on stealth and I say, hey, or, or perception is another one that I'll do it for. Say you're taking watch, right? Yeah. Um, at night. And if you know you rolled a two for perception, but I tell you, no, you don't see anything. Like, sub- even subconsciously, you know, well, that could be because I just rolled poorly. You yeah, know? okay. Where if you never know what you roll, and I say, no, you don't see anything, that could be because you're bad at perception, or it could be because you rolled a 20, yeah. and there's nothing there. Wow. Um, so wait, what do you, you, you make rolls? So for perception rolls and like for stealth rolls, rolls, yeah, right. Okay. I like to right. If you're trying to hide, <laughs> yes, actively you roll it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you're like sneaking through, you know, the the haunted tomb or whatever, I'll make your stealth rolls for you behind oh. the screen. I'll, hey, I'll narrate the results. Gotcha. He's saying it, it keeps some of the mystery for it because you know, like if you were like, I'm gonna perceive that there's any traps, mm-hmm. and you see that you roll a low number, and Seth says you don't see anything, you're gonna assume it's because you failed yeah. your roll. Yeah, there very well could still be traps. But if he hides the roll and says you don't see anything, you're not going to know whether gotcha. it's because yeah. you rolled bad or not. That's actually an interesting idea because it's kind of a... Uh... But it's just passive, not like every roll. Exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I, really, I like that. In any oh. character's mind, they... do some flair. Every character thinks they rolled a 20 on stealth. They think <laughs> yeah. they're, you know, James Bond <laughs> right. hiding, right? The Pink um, Panther. Exactly. Right, right. Um, 
So it's nice that it's nice when a player thinks they're great at stealth, especially when it's a rogue. Yes, like, you know, plus, yes. plus nine for stealth. Uh-huh. And I know they rolled a one, but they think they rolled uh-huh. like a 17. <laughs> um, I'm like, yeah, you're doing great. You're, yeah. you're as hiding. As you know. Right. You don't think, oh, the goblin's easy. Sorry. Until yeah, they got sense. uncanny talent. Then yeah. you're fucked. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's cool though, because it really gives you the power to um, make the story a lot more interesting for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's also nice in certain situations because it almost takes it away if the players make all the rolls in that case and they know exactly what's going on. It's like, no, let's have a little bit of mystery. You exactly. don't you don't know what's on the other side of the wall. You don't know if anything's in the water. You don't know like. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. interesting. I think the counterpoint to that, how we would play, is Keisha will roll just like incident rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that she's doing that because we can see her rolling, but we don't know like what percentage is an effect. We don't know like what level of effect we're going to get. Right. You know, so she's like, oh, we hear her roll a dice. And she's just like, mm, anyways, continue. <laughs> and we're like, fuck. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> right. And it could literally mean anything, you know? Right. So I think that's kind of a similar, similar mechanic that we've incorporated. And that was another note I had is when do you, when does the DM roll dice and when does the player roll dice? Because there are some instances I've read about how the DM rolls the death saving throws instead of the player. Or the DM rolls certain things instead of the players, you know? Interesting. Sure. And then Um, they would also decide whether to tell you or not. Right, exactly. (laughs) So. Have a whole other layer there. Right. And for me personally, it's like when... Basically, what you were saying, when a player wants to do something, they should roll. That's what they're mm-hmm. doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, definitely. I mean, that's the point of the game. Person. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You shouldn't take that away just because it's like annoying or you're like, well, I didn't want you to do that. So I'm going to roll and <laughs> behind my screen. And even if I roll a 20, I'm going to be like, yeah, no, you got like a two. Or, mm-hmm. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, for me, it's usually I let everybody roll their stuff um, unless if like there was a spell teleport is that what it was mm-hmm. where it literally says in the book dm rolls oh see i see yes I see. on where the chart you end up or mm. if there's a mishap or whatever yeah sure you know, in that case it's like oh okay because usually i don't roll for their spells mm-hmm. i only roll for my enemies or npcs mm-hmm. but in that case it says dm rolls so it's like, the same thing okay. with wild magic my sorcerer is a wild magic yes. sorcerer but in our rift campaign it's rift magic mm-hmm. so when we first started that it was sort of a homebrew rule that Yes, it's wild magic, but, you know, I gave the power to Keisha to determine the effects. Mm-hmm. We, like, combined the chart online with, like, her own incorporations of it because it's a homebrew, like, type of magic in general. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. So she just rolls all that for me. Mm-hmm. Or she'll okay. be like, okay, roll a 100, and then I'll tell you what happens on this chart that I'm making up as I go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for me, the player's... Basically always roll, mm-hmm. um, unless it's very important that the player not know the number on the I die. I really like that, though. I think that's really clever. Yeah. Because um, I think that if you're doing, like, a stealth dungeon, right, it's kind of important that the players not know how stealthy they're actually yeah, being. it's part of the mystery. It sense, right, it's part of, yeah, the, 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 the drama. How would they be able to gauge that, you know? Mm. How do they know that they're actually being that stealthy? Exactly. Where if you're doing an attack roll or even, like, an arcana check, you know, for some reason. Yeah. It's very feasible that the wizard could roll low and be like, man, I'm supposed to know this, but I just don't. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm having a mental block right now mm-hmm. where a rogue's probably not like, you know, I'm not being stealthy. <laughs> Got a little drunk last night. Exactly. Something, a little stumbly, you know. Um, so outside of times that I think the players really need to not know the numbers, 
I think having them roll, like you say, is really important because that's mm-hmm. the game. And then outside of stealth and perception checks, I roll publicly too. So I'll roll All on right. the same map that they do. Right. Um, which I th- and I think that uh, having those hidden rolls like stealth um, requires like trust between the DM and the players. Yeah, definitely, you definitely um, need that too. Kind of going back to you, know, you talked about how this isn't actually us against them or you know DM against players. Right. We're all making a story. We are. Right. Um, so you have to trust that I'm not just gonna look at a twenty and say three so <laughs> that I can kill you later. <laughs> yeah, like I want you to fall for the trap. It's mm-hmm. like all right, no, you actually like totally bypass it mm-hmm. and you. <laughs> Go through the dungeon and nothing happens. And why did I make it anyway? I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> That's another pretty common rule for rolling dice is proving. Like having other people see that you rolled a 20 or a 1. Yeah, there are sometimes. Conf- confirmation like, of that really? number. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Or like, ooh, like I've got a 25 because I have a 20 and then I've got a plus 5 to my dexterity or whatever. And then right. people have to confirm that, you know? Yeah. That was a rule. Oh, that's a thing where <laughs> I don't know if it's in Dean, if it's in 5e, but there's one or there's a rule where they're like, if you roll a 20 on something, the DM makes you roll again to make sure that that's a 20. What? If you get two 20s in a row, okay, then yeah, then it's a critical hit. But if you don't, then no, actually. That sucks. It's that's, not a critical yeah, that's, hit. I that's know. Not the point. That's awful. Apparently that's a thing. And I'm just like, why would you? What? Do you know how hard it is to get a 20? Yeah, so what? It makes critical hits like a 1 in 400? Yeah. Instead of a 1 in 20? Yeah. No, get that out of here. Terrible. That's bullshit. <laughs> but I don't think they do that for like crit fails. They do it for nat 20s. Oh, so a crit fails 1 in 20. Right. Yeah. A crit hit is 1 in 400. Right. like, where is the that logic? Sucks. Come on. That's not fun. You know, I mean, maybe they also do the crit fails, but I haven't read about that or seen that as much as the other one. Like, when you have to check to make sure, I think it's in one of the older editions, and they got rid of that because what the fuck? <laughs> Bad people didn't play with it either. But yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that's terrible. One of the um, podcasts I listen to, that's called D&D Live Play Show, um, is called Crit Sandwich. And their whole gimmick is this mechanic that they made up called a crit sandwich. So if you roll a 20, it's honored. You know, especially, it's specifically during battle. So you get the double damage Mm -hmm. of it. And then you get a chance to roll two more 20s. And oh, see if you get another one. Wow. And if you get another one, you get to roll three more 20s. Oh, my God. And see if you get another one, et cetera, et cetera. So each one oh, you get, wow. you get to add a 20. I see. Um, and in the history of the show, it only happened twice. But for every 20 you get, you get to double your damage again. So you just Dang. keep stacking. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It was really cool. I liked it a lot. Wow. But it's statistically impossible <laughs> to yeah. keep getting that many. Yeah. So. Oh, man. But it was exciting. It was like a fun little thing but that they different. made up. Yeah. And they kind yeah. of carved out their own little like niche out of it, you That's know? Cool. And it gets yeah. everyone excited. Like exactly. when there's 120, yeah. oh, they're, they're all like, leaning forward. Well, so they'd roll a 20 and they'd be like, is it a crit sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out. You That's know? awesome. Yeah. I like that. Having like that little special thing going on. It's always mm-hmm. fun to find a rule that... It's just for your group. You made this yeah. up. It happens when this happens. You mm-hmm. know? Have you I done like any that. of those? Like any of your own homebrew rules? Um, well, kinda. Um, and I actually, that's a very good segue because it's the one I want to talk about next. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, sandwiches. I'm pretty hungry. <laughs> yeah. um, so and it has to do with these coins that I brought. Again, I brought a, yes. a visual aid to an audio-only medium. <laughs> we, we will post this. So uh, but you can, you can hear the good the good Shiny clink clacks. Yeah, yeah, so they're... they're Actual shiny click clacks. Right, so they're kind of faux gold and silver coins. I got them at a Renaissance fair. Yeah. Um, and I use these in my campaign. Um, 
and I I aped this idea from a different game I played. Um, so I'm a huge you, Star Wars nerd. You aped it? Yeah. How do you ape something? <laughs> like you're... What? Like, like snap. <laughs> <laughs> now he has to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> I, if anyone's listening, I don't know phrases. He doesn't know words. I've actually never heard the one either, so it's... <laughs> really? I'm the only one aping yeah, things here? Yeah, it's kind of steal it, take it. You know, I don't know. Just Apes do that? I don't know if they do or not, but <laughs> this is just right. a, a thing that I've always All said. Right, anyway, anyway so I borrowed this from... <laughs> From a different game that I played, oh, uh, he, huge Star Wars nerd. Um, so I run a game of the Star Wars RPG by Sick. Uh, FFG. Sick. Final something. Final Flight games. I want to say maybe Final. Not probably not Final Fantasy games. That feels like copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Don't sue us. They have this idea of destiny coins, and so I have destiny coins in my campaigns. And the idea is so so when you make a character, you're making a hero, right? Like a capital H hero, these people are important. Yes. But for whatever campaign you're running, um, it's sort of their like destiny to be to be doing this, yeah. right? They're destined for this. So these coins can be used in one of two ways. Um, so the players have them, and to spend a coin, you give it to me. This can either make your roll a max roll. So you're trying to do something, a skill check, an attack, a damage roll. You give me a coin, you say, I'm rolling max on this one. And it's oh. to sort of convey this idea of like, you know, the the the, the epic oh. moment in the story when the barbarian, you know, mm. has to hold the door open against all odds, oh. right? You spin yeah. the destiny coin yeah. and, and, you know, um, and that's fun. That's really, really fun. Yeah. Um, for a little while, I kind of workshopped it as an auto success instead of just a max roll. But there are some things that I set the DC on so high that, you shouldn't be able to do it no matter what, right? Like, mm-hmm. if the barbarian tries to jump to the moon, the barbarian can't <laughs> jump to the moon, even if it's their destiny to jump to the moon. Um, so you roll a max, um, and generally that auto succeeds on whatever you're trying to do. Interesting. Um, the other way you can spend one of these coins is to help impact the story and to mm-hmm. add a little backstory that I haven't added. So, and you have to be careful with this. Um, there's kind of a bad way to do that and a good way to do that. And I think it's at the DM's discretion to say no to some things. Right. So it takes some trust, you know, I'm that I'm not just saying no because you've come up with something to beat the bad guy I, I wrote. I'm saying no because, you know. It'll break the world. Yeah, you can't go up to the big bad, <laughs> spend a coin and say, actually, the big bad's allergic to chicken and I have a chicken leg. <laughs> and so the big <laughs> and bad's I go, dead. boop, and he dies. Right, so you can't do that. But maybe taking from, like, The Hobbit. Uh, when Smaug flies over uh, Lake Town, and the archer uh, Bard, I think was his name, well, maybe. I don't know. Um, sees the one missing scale, right? That would be something where if they're fighting a dragon, they could spend a coin and say, you know, this dragon in some ancient battle lost a scale. Now there's and a I weak, know where to hit it. There's a weak point, right? Yeah. And maybe I'll give you like advantage on attack cool. or extra damage, something like that. Hmm. The drawback to this coin is you're giving it to me when you spend it. That means I have a coin now. I get to spend a coin. So now a baddie can auto-succeed. Or I can add something to a backstory. Oh my gosh. Um, 
So it's a real it's a real give and take, right? Yeah, it so you literally can't, is. You can't just use it on every single roll you ever have. Right. Because you're giving me more ammo, right? Suddenly, wow. you know, sure, that dragon has a missing scale, but this fire breath is doing max damage. <laughs> so you better duck. <laughs> um, and that's one of my favorite systems I've ever seen. That's so um, cool. Because it gives the players a real chance to impact the story, too. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, usually it's just used for auto-success on rolls. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that as players get more comfortable with using it, I think it's really fun to kind of impact the story. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, this gang boss you're trying to win over was an old drinking buddy of the rogue, <laughs> right? Suddenly, oh, look at that. That's cool. Yeah. It makes me improv more now, uh-huh. right? I'm, that's yeah. a tact I wasn't ready for. But now the rogue feels like they've had a serious impact on the story. Yeah. Right? They've really helped write this story. Cool. They're not just players in the campaign that I've written. They're... The fact that, that they're buddies with the gang boss, that's their part of the story, right? They really wrote that. And, I really like that. Um, I do too. That's, that's awesome. They're really fun. It's a really fun idea. Um, do you give them a idea. chance to get more than one coin? Yes. So uh, early on, I would I was kind of hesitant with giving a lot of coins because um, it's mm-hmm. auto successes or changes. Right. Sure. In my experience, it's the more the merrier because um, everyone has more fun. And is there a experience. limit to how many a player can spend? Uh, it's one, you can't spend two to do like the same action, the same action, right? So it's one per action or one per, you couldn't say, Hey, you know, here's a coin. I'm drinking buddies with the gang boss. Here's another coin. The gang boss hates tequila and I love tequila. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, sure. That's fair. So yeah. it's kind of one impact per player per, per right. time using it. Um, yeah. I've kind of workshopped it around to before sessions, I'll roll a D six and that's how many coins the players start with. Oh, so you wow. could start with one. You could start with six. Oh my gosh! Um, wow, that's a lot. It's a lot. Yep. Um, I like that. <laughs> sometimes it has no impact whatsoever because I'll tell you what I found. I was afraid of giving the players a lot of coins because I was going to have to change my story a lot. Players are terrified of using these. Are they? Because they don't want you to have them. Yeah, exactly. They have six each. Yes. And they're like, oh man, how so many will he have? It's always fun seeing players try, like the barbarian. I'm like, oh, to use my example, oh, I want to hold the door open for the party. Y'all, should I use this coin? Yeah. Because <laughs> then he can use the, We're about to fight an orc, and then the orc will have a coin. <laughs> <laughs> what would you guys? <laughs> so it's really fun. Yeah, and then also, it just, management. <laughs> it just gives the players a chance to like, play with the shiny coins, too. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's so fun. That's that cool. that's something I've really enjoyed. I love that. Yep. Yep. You have so many good ideas. We're gonna have to steal them. <laughs> We're gonna have to steal I want to play with you. You're, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to ape them. Is what you're gonna have to do. <laughs> yes. We also learned a new phrase. Yeah, I know. We're learning so much on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, I made a homebrew rule once for one of our short campaigns that we played. It was when me, Keisha, my partner, and another person were playing like randomly rolled short campaigns where we'd roll on a chart to determine yeah, setting, setting and character type plot. and like plot and they were based off of like pop culture. Right. Um and it was when we were doing the Insane Asylum versus the Purge and we were all pro wrestlers. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And okay. I made <laughs> I just made a really ridiculous character um based on a real person and a rule that I homebrewed that I talked to our DMs, because we shared DMs on this one, um, that I talked to our DMs about was that this character had a feature where he could lie about a crit fail being mm-hmm. not a crit fail, or he could say any role is in that 20. Yes. So once per rest, he was able to lie about this. And even if 
the real life people saw the role, the players and I would have to do a combative like um, insight, right? Right. Or deception role. Um, and I always won. <laughs> I know. That was the best part. So <laughs> even if, like, Keisha the person saw that I didn't roll a nat 20 and I said it was a nat 20, we would still have to competitively roll dice to see if her character believed me mm-hmm. because my character was saying that I passed. Yep. That's interesting. So in a way, that's kind of that yeah. check we were talking about, like, was I really a nat 20? Right. Mm-hmm. Again. Mm-hmm. Fuck it was. <laughs> and it just so happened that I rolled well enough that I passed every single time. <laughs> so the times I did roll a crit fail, I'd be like, nope. <laughs> I'd be like, not, it's definitely not a crit fail. And my DM would be like, all right, let's see. And they would roll an insight check and they would fail against yep. my DC. And I'd be like, nope, didn't fail. Like, all right, cool. Well, you passed. <laughs> Good for you. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah. And it was really fun. And it just... It really worked with the character because, like I said, it was based on a real person. So it was just, like, who he is as a yeah. person, you know, like, always yeah. lying. And he was just super obnoxious. And even though we knew he was lying, we had to go along with it anyways, you know. Yeah. And it just, like, really added to the whole chaotic evilness of the character. And I really that like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think that's something that would that I would encourage, like, not just the DM to come up with these really fun, quirky, homebrew rules. Like, let the players do it too. Like, encourage them to be like, you know what? My character does this. Can I have it so that, you know, insert thing here. (laughs) And I think that's a lot of fun, you know? And obviously you don't want to make it like too overpowering or anything like that. It's just flair, you know? Flavor. That's the word they use. (laughs) Flavor. Spice. Spice. <laughs> right. Well, that's the point. There should always be something to kind of bring it back down. You know, like right. I was like, once a day, I want to be able to lie about a crit fail or not twenty. But then the two DMs that were doing this session were like, well, that's a little too OP. So let's make it so that way you have to do like a deception roll, yeah, with the other players to actually see if they trust you or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, sure. What? And then it just worked. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, why did we do this? <laughs> but no, it was great because it fit the character. And again, it just like changes the situations in ways you didn't expect. Yeah, and definitely. That's the best part about it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot about like dice rules for sure. That was a lot more than I expected, honestly. <laughs> what about, was one of your sections about, like, combat rules? So, yeah, a couple of battle ones. Um, so, I mean, these are kind of, like, not, kind of rules, kind of not really. Uh, when we do battle, I let the players decide how they describe the attacks and everything, mm-hmm. and what's going on, you know, and how they choose to go about the battle hashtag how do you want to do this yeah exactly they choose how to kill the how they do the final that's actually trademarked now don't sue us i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i let them decide how they do it you know i don't take that from them that is their trophy that's their win they did it this way you know no matter how ridiculous it is Mm -hmm whatever the outcome from whatever they might do, you know, that's something that I always do personally. I don't know if that's necessarily a rule or not, but for us, it's like, they say how they do the attack and everything. Um, And in battles, like if something goes wrong, I usually let them decide like, what happens? Why did you miss? 
why did yeah. you fail this? Mm-hmm. You know, how much of this was them. it? Yeah, exactly. Something else that's not really like a rule, but that we all have always done since we've played in our groups is that we've really ignored things like cover <laughs> unless it's come up in a spell <laughs> or like mm-hmm. things what's like, the wind like today? or just encumbrance or... in general is something as a mechanic we've just almost entirely ignored that's yep. true too. not to the point of like unfairness like we'll we'll discuss it as a group like okay you've got an entire set of metal armor yeah that's like, like magical sets of armor mm-hmm. I think you're gonna <laughs> reduce your speed by five or something, you know. But yeah. we never like okay, we're holding like a hundred items, right. <laughs> like we're still running so at max speed. They don't technically even have a bag of holding; they just have these items, right? And we never like oh well, like you have to pull your scroll out of your pocket, and then you have to pull your sword out of your hilt, and then you have to like pull your arrow off of your back. We don't even really do any of that. It's very loose. Yep. With a lot yeah. of that, but there's very strict rules in the books about how to deal with those mechanics. That and is true. I feel I think like we that's... just kind of, we just kind of naturally ignored it. And yeah. even though we've talked about it, we all kind of agreed that it doesn't really help the flavor of the story. Mm-hmm. As long as none of nobody's being ridiculous with right. their items and stuff, it's fine. I always tell my players that there's a lot of systems like that: encumbrance, uh, food, yes. and water mm-hmm. that we're going to ignore unless you abuse it. Or unless it's important to the story. Yeah. Yes. So I always tell them, I don't care about encumbrance until you tell me you're looting 50 swords from the dungeon. <laughs> exactly. Then we got, we got to figure out how to get right, how you get this back. I agree. Or I don't care about food and water until the story is you're stranded in a desert. Mm-hmm. Right. Then the then whole thing, actually... right, is like getting water. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of number crunchy stuff that for a lot of groups. And it just included. takes a lot of energy yeah. to do and time. And I haven't, I didn't sit down to play D&D so I can like have Microsoft Excel open yeah. on the side. Well, you're already doing a lot of numbers with the dice. Right. Like, why right. add all of those other so things to it? And there's more important things too. I mean, it's all, you don't watch a TV show and you watch every moment when they have to like go to the bathroom or when they have mm-hmm. to like right. eat three meals a day or yeah. whatever. Sleep eight hours. This yeah, person hasn't sleep. slept in four episodes. <laughs> yeah, like what's wrong with, you know, like. But like, there's obviously people that do really enjoy the, like, yeah. mm-hmm. realistic part of it, you know? Because you had a... We had one of our one-shots. Hunger Games. Yeah, the Hunger Games one. I, where it actually mattered yeah. about your energy, your exhaustion levels, and what you were eating, mm-hmm. and what you were not, and Yeah, I, I purposefully introduced the exhaustion mm-hmm. mechanic mm-hmm. into that game because it's the Hunger Games. Right. So you're surviving, and, you know, you only get a limited amount of resources. And mm-hmm. so I even, like, explained to them the rules. Like, I took it all out of the book. There's a whole, like, level system, you know, and it's it's actually, like, a stacking tier. Yes. So level one gives you an effect, and level two gives you a new effect plus level one's effect. And level three gives you all three effects. And then you have to reduce each effect individually to be able to even get rid of it. So it's very difficult. It's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> That's something that we kind of generally ignore too. Yeah, usually, but it was fun in that situation because <laughs> it was, that one, it was yes. a survival setting. Like you guys might just die because you don't get enough yeah. water. And <laughs> if you get to a certain exhaustion level, it's literally just death. Death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think having a super crunchy game where you worry about exhaustion and food and encumbrance is like fine and can be fun. But I think you have to know going in. Yeah. yeah it's you not all have fun. to agree to that. Yeah, yes. It's not fun to have like a high fantasy game. No. And then five sessions in be like, by the way, when's the last time you slept? <laughs> yeah. it's So when I originally made uh, Kayla and I's main homebrew campaign about the Rift, which we brought up a lot, 
Um, I had like this whole, obviously the world built and blah, blah, blah. One of the things was the magic system. And I was like, all right, so in the world you're in, magic isn't just there. People don't just use it, you know, however they want. It has to be, magic comes from gemstones, you know, and that's why on like suits of armor or on your weapons, you have to have like a ruby or a sapphire or whatever. And that's like the attribute, you know, like the ruby is fire and the sapphire oh, okay, is water. Okay. You know, I had this in my head. <laughs> and they were like, well, when we're starting out, like we have basic stuff, but we still want to use magic. And like, that's unrealistic. And that's really hard to follow. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll just make it so that... Every armorer and weaponsmith knows this, so they just grind it up into dust and they just incorporate it into all armor and all weapons. <laughs> How convenient. <laughs> so all of you can use magic from nice. level one since you're so fighting about it. <laughs> you're not bitter at all. No, it's fine. I thought it was an interesting flavor because like, I, I was trying to figure out like, the magic system, like I was talking about, like, oh, okay, it makes sense in my mind. Like, it works like this. You have to have this gemstone, like, blah, 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 blah. And everybody's like, nah. <laughs> I don't really like that. Can I just, I just want to be able to fire a ball whenever I want. And I'm like, <laughs> well, but now we have a certain kind of homebrew magic that affects us. Oh, no. So. We still manage to, like, work. You gave us enough sure. negative flavor for sure. But, yes, I, I try to do Spicy that. spice. Like, I'll give in to certain things, but I'm just like, just no. It's going to bite you in the ass later. <laughs> it always does. So I created a monster that eats magic. And I'm like, haha, magic doesn't work. Good luck. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> with love. <laughs> That's how I am as a DM. Fuck you with love. Absolutely. Fuck you with love. <laughs> Amen. Yes. So a couple questions I had for y'all, I guess. I don't yeah. want to run it on too long. That's but, fine. Oh, no, um, yeah. We're, do you have any rules for initiative? Do you, have, do you do any changes to the initiative system? So I've got one that, no, not that really. I, I've enjoyed. Yeah. Um, so the way I do my initiative um, is you don't... So, the, so the, the, the number that you roll for your initiative is not necessarily your initiative place. It is a player's initiative place. So then... What do you mean? Well, after every... So let's say four players and four goblins are fighting. Mm-hmm. Everyone rolls initiative. There's four player slots and four goblin slots. And the players can decide... Who takes which player slot? Oh. Um, assuming you're not like surprised, obviously surprise like takes you out of the, out of oh, the rotation wow. here. Okay, um, hmm. but I I personally didn't enjoy when like the paladin would get to the front right and be like all ready for the attack, yeah. and then roll a two on initiative and has to sit there and watch the goblins run around them. Yeah, <laughs> so the, the, like, the for some reason I'm frozen. Right, so <laughs> I decided <laughs> that if the players all agree, the paladin can take the highest initiative roll for cool. players. Um, and then the ones who don't care so much can be further back in initiative. Wow. I think we would argue a lot in our group. I know. That. I think that wouldn't work for us. <laughs> we just stick with that number and we somehow figure yeah. out why we have We have a barbarian and a rogue and they are both oh. very... Halflings. Yep. <laughs> oh, sorry. And they're both halflings, but they're both very like, me first, I'm going to go. I'm going to be the strong mm-hmm. one. God, yes. <laughs> and because they have such high initiative, they just go first all the time. Basically, <laughs> the poor Loxodon is almost always last. Yeah, and the sorcerer is life. In the back. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is cool, though. I mean, again, it kind of gives you a chance to work as a party. Like, yeah. okay, well, we should definitely send the Barbarian first because he's the tank, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, the Paladin has got the highest AC, so he should be in the front, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And the Squishy Wizard should definitely be at the very end and, yeah. like, stand 200 feet away to cast the spells. So or, I think that really in this situation... Sense. Somehow the wizard is at the forefront and, like, all the goblins are about to attack him, so put him at the top so he can run away. Right, right. You know, however you need to work it in that situation. Which, again, if you're getting ambushed or surprised, then it's all out the window. Right. right? You're going in the order you roll because you're not ready. (laughs) Right. Um, So I really, I felt like it has encouraged my players to plan out so they'll see, like, enemies up ahead. And without fail now, they'll come together and... Like plan their attack and figure out, you know, okay, you go over here and attack this one, mm. and I'll be up front and attack that one. Interesting. Um, so I've really seen it kind of lead to more. It's almost like a team building team exercise. Building, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good way to get your players to work together more. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've definitely had a few situations where players would be in battle and they're individually doing their own thing. And somebody will literally be solely consumed inside the body of the purple worm. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, we're good. We're not gonna. He's gonna just we're die. Fine. We're just gonna let him die. <laughs> we're just gonna let him die. That's a really specific scenario you just brought up. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Specifically a purple worm, huh? Yeah. But no, yeah, that's a pretty cool idea. I like that. And my second question, which I think is a battle that's been raging for a long time, is grease flammable? Yes. <sighs> yeah. It is. It is. Well, that's another thing we don't It's one of those it's one of those rules that like it comes up when the player is really clever and they think about it, but we don't incorporate it enough. Yeah. Like how lightning bolt can have a ricochet effect if you're right. in a room. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like sometimes we'll play we'll be in a 10 by 10 dungeon and your wizard will cast lightning bolt and it just hits the enemy and that's it. The next time your player is like, so lightning bolt bounces off walls, right? <laughs> Let's talk about that. So can I, uh, I've already figured out, you know, where it's going to go. Right. Because I play in a pool <laughs> exactly. where when you hit it. Uh... <laughs> so then it becomes like a whole discussion. And then you have to decide yeah. if like how much damage you get. Well, if that's true, then you have to roll like a D6 to see who it hits. Because maybe it hits your friend, you know, and it's like a whole thing. So, so this it's is... a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. This is different, but I just realized it bothers me. So, when we play, we don't use components. Okay, no, sure. You can just cast a spell mm-hmm. at random. It kind of bothers me whatever. too, I'm not going to lie. So, that can be really annoying because some spells are really fucking powerful. Yeah. And it's like, you only have that if you have a diamond and the feather of a phoenix and ten cat's paw, I don't know, (laughs) whatever, like all this Mm -hmm. crazy shit, right? Sure. So that'll happen often where we just cast spells at random, except apparently, because I remember this very specific time, when I tried to cast something, I think it's like lightning storm, something like that, but somebody rules lawyered me and was like, you can't do that because we're in a cave and you need at least like... A hundred feet, feet of sky, sky. Open sky. So I couldn't cast it. And yet, 
everyone can fireball and witch bolt yeah. and whatever at will. So I'm like, huh. I do agree with that, Keisha, and that's something I've it has thought to be about. All or nothing as a magic user, because a lot of my characters have been magic users, and I've thought about that more and more. Mm-hmm. But like, you give us a lot of opportunity to like go to shops and stuff, right? So like, I've thought about, well, okay, if you give us the opportunity to go shop, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna spend a hundred dollars for the components yep. money. And just buy all the components I need for my spells, you know. And it'd be a little retcon still. Like, it'd be a very vague, like, I have enough components to do a hundred (laughs) spells. So that way I can just cast Fireball at will, you know, but whatever. Um, But I do agree, because it's important. Um, But it's something that we've just never really, like, established in our group. No, for our group, we're pretty loose. And even, like, it only comes up when it's, like... Your character can't talk is your spell a verbal component, so you can't use it. Mm-hmm. You know, then we argue about it. Right. <laughs> right. They're like, well, I can still think. Well, you're you're <laughs> constricted, <laughs> so you can't use your hands. So is that spell involve like semantics, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Exactly. My rule on components is if it lists a price, you've got to find it. You have to like you you've got to go I buy it. I agree with that. Yeah. I think but, we should be more strict about but it. We do, actually. I'm realizing this now. <laughs> But if it doesn't list a price, I really don't want to have to role play out the shopkeeper who's selling like grasshopper. Lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so or like you need a twin. Like a whole yeah, exactly. a wizard has a whole list. Do you have um, one <laughs> gram of uranium? Check. Do you have a phoenix feather? Check. Do you have ten bat's eyes? Yes. Do you have the tail of a newt? Do you have... Right. I just assume, much like when you're in a city, I don't make you like buy breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. I assume yeah. you need components. Yeah, you go money. get it. If if you need a diamond worth twenty five thousand dollars to you know cast resurrect, you got to find one of those. Yeah, like, like that's specifically. Like huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. That might actually be an interesting rule to incorporate. Like every time that your characters are in a town or city or whatever, just kind of have a general like you spend this much, mm-hmm. and that just covers when you're at an inn food. and the food and basics. Shelter. Like you'll just say like you just lose. 10 silver for this place or well, one gold. There, for I think this there's city. actually there in the book, there's like lifestyle expenses. And I was going to say that too. <laughs> we, we used that in our original homebrew story. Mm-hmm. Um, our original DMs kind of incorporated that where they were like, okay, you know, you're a dragonborn, so you probably don't live like a lush, luxurious type of existence. Right. So, and there, there are rules. It's like three copper if you're a beggar. You know, it's like one gold if you want to stay in like a moderately nice inn every That's night. Right, depending on the lifestyle you want. Yeah, it exactly. On how much per you day. Mm-hmm. That's right. And also, your background gives you a certain amount of gold to start with. But we mm-hmm. were doing that for a while because we, until we had our own inn. Yeah. But it just seems like Keisha's the DM gives us infinite opportunities to own our own property, have infinite amounts of gold. <laughs> you know? Well, that's also because you drew from the fucking deck of many things. <laughs> so, but I think that's kind of been part of the reason why we've never done components is because we have had stories where, like, halfway through, we just have infinite amounts of income. Right. Yes. Like, so it's like, so we'll just like retcon it. Like, okay, we'll just say every time we're in a city, we just buy enough components. Right. But then we never actually talk about it, so... Yeah. It's just very, very finite retcon. At yeah. that point, like, especially <laughs> if your characters are, like, level 15 or higher, yeah. like, mm-hmm. it's kind of no point. Yeah, it's boring. They're to, already making yeah. enough money, exactly. and they're already well-known, like, they're they're off to do bigger and better things. <laughs> I just tend to, like, the first quest anybody ever goes on, one of the rewards is just like, oh, and I've got a 
you know, contact at the local inn, mm-hmm. you can stay for free at yeah. the inn now. Yeah. And That's then what I do. we just yeah. we just ignore it from yeah. then on. We kinda do too. Keisha and just gives us property. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, well you have a place. That's yours. You do you have your own little like paid servants and whatever mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> First, I'm making a face. But for some reason, every game we play, we own like four different properties and have ser- like hundreds of servants some that people, we pay. So and some of my party wants them to just be slaves and not pay them. And, you know, like anytime we go anywhere, we just happen uh, to be able to stay for free and have all of the comforts of home with like literally no expense. Yeah. <laughs> and that's another thing, too, where it's like for role play wise, so I know I say that I always respect ones and twenties. I said that before. When it comes to something where they like try to roll a natural twenty on convincing this person, completely changing their entire outlook on life that they've completely grown up with, that that's what they're set in, those are their morals and everything. In that case, I would say you convince them to think about it. Don't <laughs> sure. convince yeah. them to just drop everything they've ever known and loved and be like, yeah, you're right. Stranger, I don't know. <laughs> like, it has to work in context. You know, it has to, like, it, it's not just straight up, it works or it fails. You still, there's room, there's wiggle room of it. The classic, like, bard trying to seduce everyone. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you can't seduce everyone. You can't. <laughs> or just murder hoboing everybody. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, you won't sell me that health potion, it. I'll just kill you and take it. Right? Yeah, persuasion is not a mind control rule, no, right? It's, it's, right, it's, yeah. Like, how charismatic are you yes. being? Yeah, I think, like, persuasion and deception and what's the other one? Intimidation. Those, like, anything charisma in general, I think there's a lot more, like, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't just straight up work or fail. There's a lot of gray area and yeah. that kind of stuff. The example know? I always see that I like a lot is like when the bard tries to seduce, you know, the the orc chiefess that if if they roll in that 20 then you've done a good enough job. The orc chiefess doesn't have you killed on the spot, right? <laughs> right. You're not seducing the orc chiefess, but but you're also not dead. You're so. entertaining her and she's like We'll see how this how goes. Right, like, exactly. I'll let you live for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, you can't just argue like, "Oh, well, I rolled this, so it has to happen." That's a whole situation. And yeah, that's obviously DM discretion, so which things. can right. really influence the story a lot. Right, exactly. There are obviously some things where it's like, "No, yeah, you you pick the lock, you know, whatever." Mm-hmm. That's minor, but there are some other things where it's like you can't, you can't. Just had it happen. Just <laughs> can't. And <laughs> you will break everything. But yeah, random so, side tangent. Circling back to the question I asked Grease is flammable, and yes. I will fight anyone who says otherwise. I agree. I There's don't care what the book says. Grease yeah. is flammable. That it's just like, and I think that's why uh, at the core of this whole discussion, why we have our own homebrew rules, because yeah. there are some things in the official rule book that's like that doesn't make sense or it's just too strict or like you can't incorporate it into everything you've already done canonically in your own world Mm -hmm. it just like conflicts with things you've already established Mm -hmm. but you know there's plenty of spells including what is it grease strap or whatever that say specifically so i think it's one of the fire spells that say anything flammable that this spell touches catches on fire immediately right within like a 10 foot radius Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. So it's like if you're not wearing metal armor, like you're gonna burn. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna catch. And even fire. even the web spell, which is like it lays down five feet 
of webbing and it is difficult to rain, each web burns in like a five foot square up to a certain amount. Mm -hmm. So if you're standing in a web and somebody casts a fire spell, the web's going to burn and you're going to get fire damage. Right. And I'll just say, I think it was, I think it was Gary Gygax who said online that grease is not flammable. Boo. He said, what? He said a lot of dumb shit. Yeah. I was going to say, he said a lot <laughs> of things. He said that uh, if, if grease is flammable, they would have written so. And I would just like to say that he doesn't know D&D. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, he doesn't know D&D like we know D&D. <laughs> exactly. have, you, have you tried this? I would love to see We're going to gatekeep on Gary Gygax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, that could be a discussion. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, God. God. I love that so much. Trust me, I've been playing for five years yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I've, uh, I've owned at least one book. <laughs> that was just the closest written. Most of it. <laughs> no, I, All right, I've opened it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I bought it, so it looks pretty on the exactly. bookshelf. Oh, man, that's awesome. But, uh, yeah, there's just, again, there are some things, like, those who want to follow it by the book, that's how you want to do it. That's great. That's your game. Yeah, it needs to be established ahead of time, though. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Any group at any time, when you get together, always have that session zero. Yep. Know what are non-negotiable rules yeah. and figure out if you want homebrew house rules, you know, and then if there's any that you want to follow by the book. But there's... Mm-hmm. You know, and where there's wiggle room. Yeah. Well, I, I think the wiggle room is, like, there's also rules that you can decide on as you play. I mean, yeah. obviously, like, your coin rule was something that you didn't incorporate until you'd already been playing mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. sessions and went to, like, a Ren fair. I was like, these are fucking cool. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I use these. I'm like, do you guys want to have this in your game, you know? Yeah. And I think being, yeah, being willing to change mid-game. Yes. You know, like, saying, hey, here's the rule, but if six sessions in, the rule is clearly bad. Like, hey, that's not the rule anymore. Yeah. yeah if everybody that agrees sucks. to it, basically. Exactly. You know? And that's the biggest thing, like... Your group all has to be on the same page about whatever rules there are or are not, you know? Mm -hmm. As long as everybody is okay with it and it makes your game fun in that way, then great. That's how you do it. Definitely. (laughs) Doesn't have to be only A or B. That's it, you know? Unless you want it that way. Yeah, it's whatever you want. It's one or the other or a mix of both or all the other rules, C through Z. It doesn't matter. It's what the group decides together. Yeah. yeah. So. Ultimately, we're all on the same team. Deans yeah. and players. Exactly. Players are <laughs> friends, not food. <laughs> uh. Well, we're, we're all making a story together. That's exactly. the whole point of the game. Yeah. 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 We're all you're here just, to have fun. You're there to just play. This is not a competitive yeah. game. It's cooperative. Right. And like we've said a thousand times, it's just a game. It is just mm-hmm. You're here to have fun with your friends yeah. and do some cool shit. Exactly. I mean, I think Seth has had some really cool homebrew rules. Oh no, there! I'm going to steal them. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna ape them. Yes, you're gonna ape them. We're going to ape them. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, I want to play on your table, Seth. <laughs> I know. I think Absolutely, you. let's do it sometime. I think, uh, yes. Well, thank you for having this interview with us and sharing all that stuff. This was a lot of fun. And sharing your stories and introducing us to some new rules. Yeah, and even some new lingo. <laughs> <laughs> all the things. But yeah, uh, listeners, let us know. What are your homebrew house rules that you've made up? Are there any that we shared that you agree with, that you disagree with? 
Is there anything that's in the book that you follow to a T that you would never ignore? Mm -hmm. Let us know. Yeah. You can catch us on. uh, (laughs) Our most popular way to reach us is Instagram. We post a lot of cool content. We'll post pictures of Seth's coins that we're talking about. I'll post this water weird thing that we mentioned earlier (laughs) in the episode. Um, We just post a lot of content. Our faces sometimes, pictures that Keisha draws, maps, journal entries, etc. We also have a Gmail if you want to reach out to us, potionsandpotpourri at gmail.com and we have a Facebook page. Technically, we have a Twitter too, but we don't use that, so don't go there. (laughs) (laughs) But... Yeah, this has been another Potions and Popery interview episode. This has been Keisha. And I'm Kayla, and we had our friends. Yo. <laughs> Thanks, Seth. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks, Until yeah. next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.